My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. My name is Taylor. I'm the youth pastor here at Sunrise Church. Uh, man, just have such a great time doing that. But for right now, for the last couple of weeks, I've been able to fill in and be doing the teaching. So super excited about that. We've been going through what we've been calling the Our Father series, which is the Lord's Prayer. And so it's been really good. We've been learning what Jesus says about prayer and how we should pray and what's the most effective way to pray. Um, but also just kind of learning the, the value of each word that's in this prayer and what it really means. So we're just going to continue on that journey this morning. Uh, I'm going to have you turn open your Bibles if you brought them. If you got on your phone, we're going to Matthew 6. That's where we've been spending all our time this series. Um, If you don't have one, that's okay. We have the wall Bible, so it'll have all you need up there. So say this with me. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on as the people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. And don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask Him. And so it says, pray like this. And, you know, we've been doing this all series long, and so I'm just going to ask you to continue to pray this with me, that this would be our prayer this morning, that we would ask God to come in, and we would mean these words with power and conviction of what they mean. So say it with me here. Our Father in heaven. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Amen. Amen. Man, God's good. Um, so this last week, I spent, uh, spent a week on a mission trip with a bunch of high schoolers. I don't think any of you were praying for me, but I needed it. <laughs> uh, and so we had such a great week, uh, such a fun week. We went into downtown Portland. Uh, we literally took off right after we got done last weekend with services and headed downtown and went immediately and started serving many of our homeless friends, those near homeless all week long. We started we provided child care for those that were trying to transition out of homelessness. And so we just, we really had a powerful week. Our students really got to experience what 
what it meant to really be in the trenches with a lot of our homeless community and those that are maybe addicted to some kind of substance or alcohol. And so it was just a very powerful week. We were under overpasses in homeless uh, tents, camps, and just serving them, going up, loving on them, trying to do more than just actually even serve them, but have a relationship with them. Really trying to teach our students and also grow in ourselves that these aren't, these aren't people that are any different than who we are. They're, we're actually very close to where they are. We're one bad decision away. We're one catastrophe away from being in the same, same place. It's, it's really not much difference. And so to understand that this is, these are God's people. We are God's people. We're all in this together and that we're trying to cross those bridges and show them the love of Christ and what it looks like. Um, and so we had such a powerful week. We really did. Um, but to be honest with you, when the week started, I really had no idea what I was doing. Um, this is my first mission trip that I was kind of leading, co-leading um, with a couple of the leaders that came with me. And so as I kind of sat there Sunday night, exhausted and tired and kind of not knowing what the week was in store, I got a text message from someone who I value dearly. And in that text message was something that I, I needed. You know how God like will give you what you need right when you need it. Um, only if you're willing to obey will it come out. Um, and so in that text message, I'm just going to paraphrase it. But basically, he sent me a quote from a book. And in that book, he was, it was talking about the secret to Jesus' ministry, really where Jesus' ministry really came from, where the fruit of it really came from. And it came from his ability to pull away long before dawn and spend time with the Father. And I know we talk about prayer in here. We talk about what it means to have a relationship with the Father and all these things. But man, when I read those words, it really pierced my heart because I realized I was in, I was in a situation. I've been in a season where it's like, I don't know what I'm in. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't understand how to lead in these, in these environments. If I'm just honest, if I'm just really real, um, I'm supposed to provide spiritual leadership for the week. And I really don't know what I'm doing here. And it was in the midst of that. I was like, I was going to get up early and pray anyways. But when I read that text message, when I read that understanding that really everything Jesus did came from his relationship with the Father, I knew it. You know, we know it. But it was such a great conviction for me. I said, all right, I'm getting up earlier. I'm going to get up earlier. And so I got up earlier and I walked. There's a Starbucks. I'm walking to Starbucks. That's why I got up earlier. Um, but no, I, I walked to Starbucks. It was 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7 miles away. And so I just walked down the blocks to it. And I really just want, I just talked to God. I just spent time. I just praying for each student that was with us, all seven of them. Just praying that they would experience God that week. Praying that God would reveal himself to all of us, even the leaders. Like I'm praying for us that God would show up because I understand that there's nothing I can do. There's nothing that I can make happen, but God can make everything happen. God can show up and make it happen. And so it kind of, as the week went on, I realized that God was going to show up in a way I didn't expect. That God was actually going to reveal himself to each student, each one, and have them grow in a way that they would not know it was coming. And as we look back on the trip, I don't think any of the students are going to go, man, that was my favorite mission trip. But they're going to look back and they're going to go, man, that's where God grew me the most. That's where God showed up. That's where I really became real for me. And it all started, to be honest with you, with this idea that I was praying that God would reveal himself, that God would really show himself. But the truth was, I didn't know how God was going to do it. And so I kind of think that's how a lot of our prayer lives look a lot of the time, is that we go to God and we start asking for things, and we don't know how he's going to do it. 
Like we kind of have an idea of what it will look like. We kind of have this thought process of what, what, what it really could be, what, what our prayer life dream would be, but we don't really know how it's going to be. See, there's some people in here, you're single and you've been praying for that spouse for a long time. You've been praying and it's a good prayer and it's a great godly desire that you want a spouse, someone to spend the rest of your life with. And the truth is, is you don't understand what comes with that. Or how God might do it. It, might, it means that you've got to share the bed now. It's okay, you can laugh. It's funny. At least it was for me. <laughs> but even bigger than that is you actually, you have to start sharing your time. It's not about you anymore in marriage. It's not about you. You don't get to just do what you want. You don't just get to spend your money how you want to do it. You don't, you don't get to do any of that anymore. It's all sacrifice. It's all being a servant. You submit and you serve one another. That's what marriage is all about. So you're praying for someone you can spend the rest of your life with, but there's so much more that comes with that. Arguments, fighting, but then loving one another. And it's, it's, it's even more than that. Some of you are jobless right now. Some of you are trying to get promoted right now. And so you're praying for that job. You're asking God, God, would you show up and give me that job? Would you provide that job? We need the money, God. We need the money. But with more money comes less time with family. Less, less moments in the car with your kids to have that conversation on the way. And it might mean more things in an easier life and an easier transition and easier moments where you're not so dependent on God showing up. It might mean that where you can actually provide and you can put food on the table and you're not worrying where next month's paycheck is coming from. I get that. It's a good godly prayer. But it also might mean some other things. It might mean you have to take a job you didn't want. It might mean you have to take a job somewhere where you didn't want to go. That's, that's kind of what happens. We don't know what we're praying for, but God would reveal something that might not be in the plan. And then some of us are praying that a relationship would be healed, that, that God would bring reconciliation, that God would be repentance. And the moment that they show up on the scene and they say, you're sorry, all those emotions are going to come back with it. All the hurt, all the pain, all the heartache. And so then you have to make a decision, you have to make a moment, and even bigger than that is you might, you might be faced with the reality that God is actually going to make you look in the mirror, that you actually have more ownership in the situation than you think, that, that it actually has some of your fault to do with it. So God is going to bring that healing, but he is actually going to ask you to do something else in the process. See, that's kind of how it, it is when we pray to God sometimes. We're praying for things. We have this idea of what it should be. But really, God is going to reveal himself, show himself, and deliver in a way that we least expect it. And so when we get to the fourth petition today, it says, give us today the food we need. When we get to that fourth, fourth petition, this fourth request to God, when we see this today, I think a lot of times when we pray this, we don't know what we're asking for. And I thought surrender was last week was really hard. I thought the will of God surrendering to that was really hard. But then I got to this petition, I realized it might be even harder. I realized that how God reveals himself, how he shows himself sometimes is not the way that I really want it to be. And so as we kind of look at this, we need to understand something here is that the word today is so important. That God wants to show up today. 
He's not a one-day God. He's not an eventually God, but he actually wants to show up today. He wants to make himself present in your life today. That today could be the day for change. That God could actually deliver your prayer today. He could make and reveal himself today. And it's also a reminder that our prayer life can't be spotty or every once in a while a relationship with Father here and there. That it actually has to be every moment, every day. Give us today the food we need. Jesus is teaching us how to pray these words and using the word today. As if it's something that's got to happen all the time. Our communion with the Father. And so as we move on to the word food in there, and we understand the word food, we kind of go, yeah, give us today the food we need. But most of us don't worry about, most of us aren't worrying where the next meal's coming from. We're just not. And so when we pray this word, when we pray this petition, it kind of goes over our heads a little bit. Because we're not worried where that next meal's coming from. We're not worried if it's going to come. It's like, well, when am I going to eat? When am I really going to eat something? And if, if we really were to look at this, we have to cross this cultural bridge into the Bible. That we, we kind of have to walk across this bridge and understand when Jesus is teaching them how to pray, when he's teaching the disciples how to pray in these words, he is telling them something that they would so resonate with at a deep level in the sense of, man, they don't got refrigerator, refrigerators and freezers sitting in their garage like most of us. They don't have a refrigerator sitting in their house like most of us. They don't have expiration dates that they're worried about that they just throw in the freezer. They don't go and stock up on stuff on sale when, when it's on sale at Costco or Winco. They don't do that. It's not that. The best preservation method that they have is salt. That's it. So for us, we can stock up on things, but for them, they are literally dependent on the food they need that day. They're dependent on if a, if a plague comes or if the climate change drastically changes, if no rain comes, it's going to affect everything. It's going to change everything. The food that they need might not be available. That they are so dependent on the weather cycle and what it's going to bring and how it's going to produce their food and what's going to come out. Because if it does not come, they might not have the food they need. It's a completely different time. It's not like us today. We don't just have another McDonald's coming in. And so as we, as we kind of see that, we, we have to understand this idea that, that Jesus is teaching them that he is going to provide, that God provides everything, that God is in control of everything. He's moving on. And so when we say this petition, when we say this prayer, we're saying, Lord, we need you to be our provider of the circumstances we don't have control of. We need you to be our provider in the circumstances that we don't have control of. And so as we kind of, as we, as we move through this verse, there's a different translation I want to bring up. And it's in the NIV. I like to bring up different translations. It's just a different way to say the verse in the petition. It says, give us today our daily bread. Our daily bread. And where this really would have stemmed out of is from this idea in the Old Testament. If we go back to the second book of the Bible, Exodus, and we go back and we see this, we understand that Exodus, the book, is basically in the first couple chapters about how the Israelites, God's chosen people, God's chosen nation, are in captivity to the Egyptians. They're enslaved. They are in bondage. Because the Egyptians are making them make brick and mortar and making them build cities for them, making them farm their fields for them. And the Israelites are growing so fast and so quick that the Egyptians are like, all right, we're killing all the baby boys now because we can't have them grow anymore. They're being told what to do, when to do it, how to do it. They don't have a choice. And so as we walk on the scene in Exodus, that's what we get is that God's chosen nation and God's chosen people are in bondage and they're in slavery. And so then all of a sudden God does what God does best. He draws near and he develops a rescue plan as we've been talking about and he sends Moses 
And he says Moses in, and Moses goes and reveals the power of God to the Egyptians, forcing the Egyptians to let the Israelites go. God's chosen people. And so they let them go, and eventually they are wandering out in the wilderness. It's a month removed from leaving Egypt, being in bondage, a crazy process. And all of a sudden, it's just kind of one-on-one stuff. It's like, well, what are we going to eat? Like, what, what are we going to do? We're out here in a desert. We're out here in the wilderness. What are we going to eat? And so they start complaining, the Israelites do. It's like, man, we, we don't have any food. We don't have, we don't have water. And so basically, God's like, okay, I'll provide. And so he shows up, and there's a dew that's going to be on the ground in the morning. And when the dew disappears, there's going to be a a manna on the ground, a a flaky substance for them to eat. And then in the evenings, quails are going to fly into camp, and they're going to have meat to eat in the evenings. And God says, okay, here's the rule, though. You can only grab as much as you need. You can only take as much as you need. Don't take any more than that. Because if they took more than what they needed, it would develop worms overnight. And it wouldn't be good in the morning. And so therefore, they are sitting there in camp with only the manna that God provides in the morning and the quail he provides in the evening. And that's all they have. And they live off this for 40 years, it says. 40 years, this is their routine. And so you can better believe it. You know, those first couple days, they're going out there and they're looking and they're going, okay, there's the dew. The sun's coming out. Is it going to, is it going to appear? Is it going to appear? Yep. Okay, there it is. Yep, God's, God's faithful. God's good. And then all of a sudden, it's like we're looking. Are the quail coming in? Are they coming in every single day? This is their story. This is their life. This is what they live. They're literally dependent on God showing up. If the quail don't come, man, they're in trouble. And even more than that, to really understand food, if you were to find the best study you can out there on it, and I tried to find the most accurate one, but believe it or not, you can't test starving people anymore today. It's not, it's not accepted practice. And so uh, give or take on an adequate amount of water, someone can live without food from eight days to two months. Food's a necessity. They're living by faith. They're living in dependence of God, bringing the quail in the camp, bringing the manna. This is their life to survive. God's got to show up. God's got to make himself present. But if we go all the way back to the beginning of the story in Exodus, right before God starts to provide the food, they were complaining, I said. And this is kind of what their complaint looked like. It says, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted, but now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. It's like all of a sudden they have looked back on a time of captivity, of bondage, of slavery, and they have seen something good about it. Like there's a positiveness in it. Like, man, so good. We had so much to eat back there. It's like, what the heck? What is going on? They were just delivered from that. God showed himself in such mighty ways and has been their provider. But before he even provides the food, this is where they're at. They have true freedom in Christ, in God right here. And now they're looking back and they're going, hey, that was so good back there. That was really great. And when I, when I kind of look at it and I dissect it, I go, why did they think it was so great? 
Why did they really think that a time back when they were told what to do and had to make brick and mortar and build cities, they had no control of their lives, their boys were being killed. Why was, why was it so great? Like, why didn't they say, man, and I think it's because they had this idea that they knew what to expect each day. That when we know what to expect, we kind of we, we kind of enjoy it. We kind of feel like we have this sense of control. They knew what Monday brought. They knew what Tuesday brought. They knew what Wednesday was going to bring. They knew it. They knew what Thursday and Friday looked like. They knew what each day, and that they were going to have full bellies each day. They weren't going to be in control of their lives, but they knew what each day brought. And when we know what each day, what to expect during each day, we feel like we kind of have control. We feel like we understand what's going to happen, and that we can kind of play God when we know what we're going to expect. And so they look back on a season in their life that's so favorable, and we do the same thing. When we know that Monday through Friday we're going to go to work 8 to 5, we know what to expect, and we're going to hang out with the family in the evenings, and this is what we're going to do, and then we're going to sleep, and then we're going to go on repeat, and then on the weekends we're going to get away, and we're going to go do this. And, we're going to, and then we have the next weekend planned out and the one after that. And we kind of know what to expect. We, we've got our life dialed in. We got, we got it all figured out. We know what we're going to do. We know where we're going to go. We know what it's going to look like. And all of a sudden, we kind of have this idea that we're in control. We're in control. And when we're in control, everything feels good. When we know what to expect, life is good. But then all of a sudden... We become our own slaves because we get in our Monday through Friday routine and we're working towards a job and we're working towards the five-year plan and we're working towards the future that we got to have enough money and enough things and enough things. And all of a sudden we find ourselves slaves and captives to a purpose that will not fulfill. And so when we find ourselves in this Monday through Friday routine and we start feeling that bondage, we start feeling that slavery coming, setting in, what we start to do is we try to go find control elsewhere because we realize we don't have control there anymore. And so what we do is we go to pornography and we go to addiction and we go to alcohol, we go to drugs, we go to gossip, we go to all kinds of things to find that relief, to find that control. Because we don't have it anymore. We have lost it. We are stuck raising a family. That's what we think. And so we go somewhere else looking for that control, looking for that job, looking for that money, looking to be the provider. Because if we have control, then we think we have purpose. That we are God. And that we can make the decisions. But then all of a sudden we wander down this path And we get down there thinking we're going to find purpose and we're going to find our calling only to find out it's so empty. And to realize that we were never in control to start with. That we have no control in this life. There is nothing you have control of. Nothing. You don't have control. You do not know what's going to happen in the next 60 seconds. You don't know what life's going to bring you. You do have no idea. But we try to create control. See, when we were down on the streets in downtown Portland, we were sitting there. Was one morning, we were serving with UGM, the Union Gospel Mission. We were walking on the streets, and we were giving money. We were saying, hey, go and have breakfast with one of our homeless friends on the streets. Go and buy them something. Spend time with them. Get in a relationship with them. So I'm with two students, and we start walking around, and the first guy we buy a bagel for. We, we get to try to talk to him, know him, and everything else. And yeah, it kind of goes, but then he kind of walks away. 
And so then all of a sudden, I kind of like try to let my students lead. I'm like, hey, you guys go. You lead. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Let the Spirit lead you. You know, that's where we're at. And so they're walking, and we walk and walk, and all of a sudden, we come across three homeless friends. And one of them's a little bit more talkative than the rest. The other two are pretty quiet. And she starts telling and unpacking a little bit of her life and her story and just kind of sharing details with us and everything else. And then she used this comment. She goes, you never know what's going to walk around the corner. You never know what's going to come around the corner. That's kind of a paraphrase. But basically she was like, you never know what's going to walk around the corner. Like today you guys came around the corner and you blessed me. And it's kind of funny because I look at that and I go, that's, that's kind of their environment. They live on blocks, street corners. And so we're crossing another cultural bridge here in the sense of, man, when they say you never know what's going to come around the corner, that's their life. They don't know what's going to come around the corner. Is it money? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? What's going to come around the corner? Is it going to be someone who doesn't even look at them and doesn't even acknowledge them as a person? That they're just taking up room and taking up space? They don't know, or is this someone who's going to come around that's going to try to get to know them, to try to have a relationship with them? They don't know. It's as if she knows she doesn't have control of what life's going to bring. But the truth is, is that when we don't know what life's going to bring, right, we still try to go find control. And so oftentimes we see people stuck in homelessness because they're still running to drugs. They're still running to alcohol. They're still running to all these things to try to find control. And then for us, it's no different. We are no different, like I said before. The only difference is, is we run to money. We're like, if I could get that 401k enough built up, if I can have just enough money that I can provide this and this and this, then I'll be in control. Then I know that I can provide for the future in case something bad happens, in case that injury happens, that I need that health insurance in case this happens. We start building this life like we want to be in control, like we are ready for in case the emergency, the end of the world is coming. And last I checked, we're supposed to be excited about it, not building up in case it happens. And so we're no different. We just run to different things for control. And some of us, you got kids in here. You got, you got kids and you, you are literally sitting there and trying to protect them and keep them out of environments and don't let people influence them and don't let drugs get in and don't let alcohol get in and don't let all these things in. Good intentions. Great intentions. Awesome intentions. But if you're not too careful, you're trying to play God with your kid's life. And you are not in control. What we look at in the Israelites and we see in them is that God has got to take them to the wilderness. He's got to take them out of bondage. He's got to take them out of slavery. That's what he's got to do with them. And then he's got to take them into the wilderness. And they literally have no idea what's ahead of them. No idea. And the truth is, is that God wants to be their provider. And he wants to be our provider. But the only way that he can provide is if he takes us to a place where he can be the provider. He needs to take us to the wilderness. He's got to take us to the desert. He's got to take us to a place where we know can no longer provide so that he can provide. When we're praying, give us, our, give us today the bread we need, the food we need. Give us our daily bread. When we're praying that, we're saying, God, be my provider. Be my provider. Take me to a place where only you can provide. That's tough to pray. 
for my physical needs, for my spiritual needs, be my provider. I'm not saying he's always got to take you there, but genuinely for us to really see him as the provider, he does have to take us there. He's got to take us there. And so as we kind of see that unpack and we see that unfold, what we do is we go, the moment that we find ourselves in the wilderness and we realize that we're not in control, we go like running, kicking, and screaming back for when we had control or I felt like we had control. And so that's what we do. And us as a, as a Christian community, we have such a bad habit at walking into this place, at coming in here and getting saved and start growing in our relationship with Christ and start really growing. It's all great stuff, awesome stuff. That's what we want. That's what we really want. But the problem is, as we start growing in our walk, we start growing in our talk and we start knowing who God is and we start experiencing him. And then all of a sudden, there's a big bad world out there full of hurt, full of drugs, full of alcohol, full of all kinds of bad influences. And it's true. But what we do and what we've taught our kids to do and what we like to do is we go running for the hills. We're like, hey, us four and no more. No one else can come into this place. We, we got to keep it safe. We don't want people influencing us. We don't want drugs getting in here. We don't want alcohol getting in here. We don't want any of that getting in here. Because it might corrupt us. It might really change the gospel. And the reality is, is that we are supposed to go to the world and influence the world with the gospel. And that means that we are going to go to where there's drugs, and we're going to go to where there's bad people, and we're going to go to the ends of the earth, and we are going to share the gospel. And it's going to take us to places that feel like a wilderness, that we don't know what to do, that we don't know how God's going to provide. And when we start talking to the person across the cubicle, and we don't know what to say because we never unpack the gospel a day in our life, that God is going to show up, and that the gospel works, and he's going to show you that, that he can provide and then all of a sudden you're going to send your kids on a mission trip with a youth pastor who doesn't know what he's doing. And all of a sudden the Lord's going to provide. But he's going to. Your neighbor across the street needs to know Jesus. And it may be a drug house, but the Lord, need, they need to know Jesus. <laughs> I'm not saying go get influenced by it. I'm not saying go to where you're tempted. I'm not saying go to a strip club, guys. That's not what I'm saying. Seriously. Don't go to where you're going to fall, but go to where God calls you. And that may be the wilderness. That may be where it's really uncomfortable, where you don't know what words to say. Go to the schools. Go to your workplace. Get the gospel in there. And God will provide. We can't go running from stuff. We can't go hiding from stuff. We got to take it to him. God wants to use you. He has given you friends. He has given you power. And he has given you influence. And this is not a place, and it's never been a place, where it's us and no one else. That this is an open door policy. That everyone's welcome. Everyone can come in. This is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. This is a safe place. God will provide. 
But he may not provide in the way you think he does. Because when he showed up on the scene to provide for the Israelites, it was with manna and it was with water and things that were good for a physical existence. But God is not in the business and cares about the physical existence of you as much as he cares about your eternity and your spiritual existence. He cares way more about your eternity. He cares way more about the neighbor next door's eternity. That's what he cares about. So much so that Jesus comes on the scene in John 6 and he tells us this. He says, I am the bread of life. I am. There's a a switch that's happened here. He says, I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. For here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. God has led you into a world, and you are full of sin, and you are imperfect. But don't worry, because he will provide. He will provide, and he will send his son to the cross as the provision for your sins. But you will have to believe it, and you will have to consume him, and you will have to run to him versus anything else in this world. He wants it for you. He desires to spend eternity with you. But he wants your neighbor to know him too. He wants the schools to know him too. That's what he wants. And he says, I will provide. Provision is so tough because we like to be the providers. We like to believe we're in control. But where we have control, we probably have an idol. Where we think we have control, we definitely have an idol. Because no one has control. The only control you have is surrendering to that. That's the only control. That's the only control you have in this life. You do not know what today is going to bring. That's so tough. That's so hard. But it's so great. Because God is in the business of saving us. He is in the business of providing, but it means he is going to take us places where only he can provide. That we get rid of all of our own ideas of control. We get rid of our own ideas of I'm going to show up. He wants to work in us. He wants to work in our relationship with him. That's what prayer is all about. That we would come and know him. That we would understand him to be the provider, the provision in which we need. But it's never easy to accept that. So I'm gonna, we're going to have a response here. I'm going to invite the worship team up here. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to, uh, to believe in the bread of life, to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And maybe you haven't done that before, but we believe that the only control that you have in this world is that you can surrender your life to Jesus and that you will spend eternity forever with, in heaven with the Father. And that can start today. Today. He's now God. Not eventually. Don't, don't try to come back and do it when you're ready. Man, I'll get my life in order. No, 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 no. Today. Today. And so some of you have never surrendered. Some of you have never believed in it. And some of you were like, I wasn't there when he died on the cross. How do I know it's real? That's why it takes faith. To understand that God is moving and speaking to you right now. That God wants it for you right now. Not tomorrow, but right now, today. 
And so what we do here is I'm going to have you say these words with me. I'm going to have you say a prayer with me. We're all going to bow our heads and close our eyes. But then I'm going to have you, if you've said that prayer, if you say those words and believe them in your heart as truth, then I'm going to have you raise your hand. And the reason I have you raise your hand is because it shows what God is doing on the inside, that our physical stature is a lot of where our heart sits, where our heart is. And so I'll have you raise your hand, not caring what anyone else in the room thinks, because this is between you and the Father. He has brought you to a place where he needs to provide. And so, if you could, I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes right now. And we're going to say this. And if you're in this room today and you have not surrendered your life, if you haven't believed in the blood that set you free, that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for your sins, past, present, and future, then this is for you. Say these words with me. Lord, I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, past, present, and future sins. And then three days later, you were raised from the grave and you conquered death. And I want to surrender my life to your Lordship today.